Welcome or welcome back to Pre-Arb Excellence, a Roots-based Chicago Cubs podcast with an eye on player development. Pull up a chair while I take a deeper dive into the concerns for the team's present and future. Questions are always welcomed, whether on Twitter, Tim815, on the Anchor Contest Line, or on my Facebook, Pre-Arb Excellence Group. Thanks for stopping by for today's episode, Robo-Umps, Prospects, and... Paulette and ask me questions if I was confusing. Very rarely do I get news now that is podcast worthy on one bit of news. I just don't. There's just nothing going on that, wow, this entire, uh, this bit of news is entirely worth a podcast all on its own. Usually it's a matter now of let two or three things back up. And then as the two or three things back up, (coughs) discuss them as one podcast episode. And fortunately, today's podcast mentions prospects a bit. So possibly people will be interested in this podcast, maybe a bit more than a couple of the more recent podcasts that, well, haven't really had very large numbers. Um... Three bits of information. Today I saw Peyton Paulette, who is a right-handed pitcher for Arkansas, is undergoing Tommy John surgery and will be out for the season. Paulette was on my list of 12 names. I haven't looked at my list of 12 names recently. But um, Paulette is on the list. And with him done for the season, I should probably start looking for another player to incorporate into the list of 20 or into the list of 12, because I do want to have 12 names or so pretty much the entire college baseball season running through, because I don't want it to be to a point where um, it's down to seven or eight viable names. One thing to keep in mind about Paulette, Paulette will miss this season and will presumably be good to go next year, presumably, presumably. However, it could get to a situation where if there is a team who really does dig Peyton Paulette, really digs Peyton Paulette, he could still be a top 50, top 60 pick this cycle if someone decides, Eh, screw it. We're still going to draft him. We're going to draft him, and <coughs> we will do whatever additional rehab needs to be done on him, and he'll be fine, well, and good for us in the future. If someone says, Tim, how about if the Cubs' top two draft picks in 2022 are one of the guys on your list of 12, once Paulette is replaced, and Peyton Paulette, I would say I'll take it. I don't care who the I don't care who the second player is. I don't care who the second player is. If it's Dylan Lesko and Peyton Paulette as the Cubs' first two draft picks in 2022, I'm absolutely good with that. Now, why? Why? What difference does that make? As the um, collective bargaining agreement gets agreed to and signed and all that stuff. There will be things to look at as far as 
What is the punishment for going over? What is the punishment for signing an, um, a qualifying free agent? All that kind of stuff. All those questions ought to be considered. If there is a baseball fan who is saying, I'm going to completely disregard the concept of losing draft picks, blah, 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 whatever. You're a fool. <laughs> You're a fool. Through the draft, teams get inexpensive talent. Through the draft, teams get inexpensive talent, and that is completely what the argument is over. Five minutes before I started this podcast, Max Bain asked on Twitter if baseball could be viably run using a EPL, English Premier League, sort of uh, scenario where no minor leagues, only major league teams, and you don't have player control for a decade, effectively. And I, re I responded something to the extent of, I'm fascinated by how the situation is going to get cleaned up with the new collective bargaining agreement with an eye on Jordan Wicks. 21-year-old draft selection. He becomes a free agent. When will that be? Will it be when he's 27 or 28? 29 or 30? 30 or 31? What are the rules going to be? That, to me, is absolutely fascinating. Especially since in the English Premier League, there is a player who effectively declared himself a free agent this month at 22. A free agent at 22 versus a player who is not a free agent at 31. One is more player-friendly. One is more owner-friendly. How the CBA is worded, how the CBA is phrased, will help me decide if Peyton Paulette should still be on my list of 50 names. I don't know if Peyton Paulette would be interested in signing a second-year offer with a um, possibility of, you know, of getting low first-round money or something like that. I don't know if he would be interested in that. I don't know if he has any tie-in with the Cubs whatsoever, blah, 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 whatever. I will be very interested. I like the business angle of things because it actually matters as far as how things develop. I don't like that the owners are being little putzes. I don't like that the players are being dragged through the mud. I don't like how a lot of fans are saying, oh, well, all the major league players make $10 million. Be accurate. This is about Miguel Amaya. This is about Jordan Wicks. This is about Max Bain. This isn't about Jason Hayward. It's not about Jason Hayward. It's about players who are trying to make a living. <sighs> Take deep breath. Okay, second thing. AAA baseball is going to be using robotic umpires in the 2022 season. I've heard a couple people saying this isn't new news. Um, maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but I don't remember hearing it. I don't remember talking about it. 
robotic umpires having um, automated ball strike systems. I'm pretty much in favor of it, I think. I think there will probably be a bit more adjustment going on than people are imagining. I really do think that if there is a pure um, robotic system set up, there will be certain things that are unstoppable. What do you mean by unstoppable? Okay, let's imagine there's a right-handed hitter in the batter's box. Right-handed hitter in the batter's box standing in the absolutely normal place. You know, maybe he's a little close to the plate. Maybe he's backed up a half a step. You know, where, wherever he is in the batter's box. He's in a normal batter's box spot. You have a left-hand pitcher on the mound, and he has a left-handed yacker of a slider. Comes in and all of a sudden breaks violently to the right. Violently to the right-handed hitter's batter's box. So it crosses the plate as a strike and then bounces over and hits the batter in the wrist or would if he doesn't dive out of the strike zone uh, dive out of the path of the pitch strike one there is going to be adjustment on any side with anything regarding any automated ball strike calls because what is technically a strike isn't what is called a strike. The strike zone is what the strike zone is, but that's not what strikes are based on sometimes. There will be adjustments, and whether catchers stealing strikes is a good thing or a bad thing, I'm not even going to go there. I'm not even going to go there. I'd probably rather refer, prefer to have a textbook strike zone and strikes and balls are called on that definition on those definitions. But with AAA having robo umpires this year, probably catchers who are trying to steal strikes will be of less value in AAA than they had been before. <sighs> Again, semi-deep breath. Um, prospects, prospects. People are starting to come out with their lists of prospects, and I guess I should probably be paying really close attention because I'm probably kind of like supposed to, but I'm really not. Um, Brennan Davis is getting his just desserts, deserves, whatever you want to phrase it as. I think Baseball America has him at 16. Christian Hernandez. Uh, no, ba yeah, Baseball America has Davis at 16 or something like that. Christian Hernandez, who has yet to play a game in the United States with a box score, is in Baseball America's top 100, uh, coming in at 81st. Not bad considering he was the second best shortstop for the Cubs in the Dominican Summer League last season. Um, behind Pedro Ramirez. But uh, 
all of the Cubs' top six prospects all seem to be getting their getting their respect, getting their dap, getting mentioned. I even saw, what was that, baseball... One of the one of the secondary ones. One of the secondary ones was even having uh was even flashing Alexander Canario in the mid eighties or something like that. Pete Crow Armstrong is getting mentioned. Kevin Alcantara is getting mentioned. Owen Casey is getting mentioned. I I'm required to forget one of them, aren't I? I'm required when, when I mention them that Davis is one, Hernandez is six. Then in the middle, there's Alcantara, there is Casey, there is Pete Crow Armstrong, and then there is the one that I'm currently forgetting because I'm always required to. James Triantos, there you go. James Triantos is also getting a whole, a whole lot of positive spin his direction and it's not so much a case of this person is getting it from this side because he has they have this sort of a bias or blah 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 people are starting to realize the cubs have a whole bunch of prospects who could be really good any of them and when you have there be a whole bunch of them seem to be one in four guys what I mean by one in four, one of those four probably is going to be really good. One of the four. Whether Alcantara, whether Armstrong, whether Casey, or whether Triantos, one of those four will probably be very good. Which one? Got me. I have no idea. Which is why the minor leagues are so important as having a chit a chat a chat chat with someone on the Twitter machine. And uh, how James Triantos would be treated in 2022, whether he will stay in low A the entire season or whether they would consider moving, moving him up to advanced A South Bend at some point during the season was just, you know, what would be necessary and my standard response, and people don't like to hear it, and I know people don't like to hear it, because whenever I say it, people say they don't like to hear it, is watch the games. Listen to the games. Let's say Pete Crow Armstrong. Where is Pete Crow Armstrong going to play in April? Some people will say, well, he is definitely going to play in low A. Some people say he is definitely going to play in high A. My response is, how's he going to do in spring training? And no, 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 no. It's not, how is he going to do in seven specific spring training games? No, 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 no. Spring training is a month-long practice session. I, I don't know how long spring training is going to be for minor leaguers this year. I They might extend it. They probably should extend it. If Pete Crow Armstrong comes in and is rocketing the ball all over the field, is playing flawless defensively, 
is going first to third, first to home, and everything that he even has a remote chance to go first to third and first to home on, is getting fantastic reads in center field. And when practice games start against double-A or high-A competition, and he's absolutely mauling the baseball, he'll be with high-A. He will be with South Bend. Not because of, oh, well, on this one Tuesday, he went one for three. No. All the information matters. Take everything in. Everything being everything that you can see and everything that you can't see because you can't see what he's doing in batting practice right now. Right now, what are his numbers as far as his exit velocity? What? You don't know? Oh, okay. That's information that's necessary for deciding where he will be. In spring training, how he looks, if he looks like he is the guy who should be the starter in South Bend in center field, he should be the starting center fielder in South Bend. There, it's not going to be a case of, well... We would put Cole, uh, we would put Pete Crow Armstrong as the starting center fielder in South Bend, but we really want to let Cole Roderer have two months in South Bend as the starter. So we're going to hide Pete Crow Armstrong as the center fielder in Myrtle Beach instead. No, that's not going to happen. Players are going to stake claims to where they belong based on how well they do in spring training in Mesa when you're not watching. Now let's play the other. Let's play the other hand. Pete Crow Armstrong is absolutely horrible. He can't hit a damn thing. Left-handers have him absolutely flailing away on curveballs and sliders and all that. Then you send him to low A. It depends how is a player going to do. So let's go back to the Triantos question. Triantos has shredded the Arizona Compound League. Triantos will not start in the Arizona Compound League. He will start in Myrtle Beach. So we send James Triantos to Myrtle Beach. Now that's going to be interesting enough all on its own because they're going to have Reggie Preciado playing some short, playing some third. They're going to have James Triantos playing some second, playing some third. They're going to have an interesting mix of, I don't know if the, if South Bend is going to be ready for, I don't know if South Bend is going to get both Kevin Made and Ed Howard and, 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 and other players. There's going to be five or six players for South Bend that ought to be playing every day on the infield. Five or six guys that ought to be playing every day for South Bend on the infield. And there's four positions, and there's one DH. And then they're going to have four or five outfielders who ought to be playing every day. It's not going to be a case of we're going to only play nine guys. It's going to be you're going to play, and you're going to sit. You're going to start five games a week, and some of you will only start four games a week, even though you're probably better than that. Because that's the way it is. And if you produce, you keep playing. So, Triantos playing four or five games a week. How's he going to do? Is he going to crush the ball? If he's crushing the ball, then that means he probably gets moved up. Especially if he plays adequate defense. 
How is his defense going to be at second base, at third base? Maybe they even put him at shortstop. I don't know. If he is the best player on the field every stinking day, he'll find South Bend. If he's the sixth best infielder on Myrtle Beach, he won't be starting all the time. He won't be playing all the time. The Cubs pipeline is now to the point where playing time must be earned. It's not a case of, well, this guy was a second-round draft pick in this certain draft, so we're going to play him. That's the way it was back in the Earl Cunningham days. Oh, we drafted this guy, so we'd better play. You have to earn your trips in the Cubs pipeline now. If you're playing poorly, you won't play. How about B.J. Murray? If he all of a sudden figures everything out and he's crushing the ball and he's the first base guy or the D.H. and Myrtle Beach a bunch of the time, it's all going to depend upon who's doing what and when. Who's healthy? Who's playing well? Who's keeping their heads above water? Who has the OPS at a point where, yeah, this guy ought to be playing? It's not a case of, well, this guy did fairly well in August, so that means that without any question, he's... No! No! The best players in practice, the guys who have it all figured out, the guys who are making the routine plays, the guys who are making the better-than-routine plays, the guys who are making the very good plays, the guys who are hitting the ball to right center field, from the right side, hitting the hitting shots to the opposite field. You know, you, you get that guy who you're in a game situation in a scrimmage match, whether it's Cubs against Cubs, whether it's Cubs against Padres or the A's or whoever the heck it is. You get Triantos batting. Nobody out, Triantos batting in a practice game. Triantos hits a 397-foot line drive rope to right center field, and the outfielder makes a fantastic catch, and the runner gets to third. Well done. Well done. That was a fantastic at bat. That's exactly what is wanted. Uh, Cole Roederer or Pete Crow Armstrong or... Owen Casey, or whoever the heck it is. Reggie Preciado, runner on second. Nobody out. Pitcher pitches outside. Outside outside part of the plate. He can watch it and take a strike. Not a horrible approach. He can... Hit a he can um pull the ball into the first second first base second base hole, get the runner to third. That's probably tolerable. Or he can hit a line drive rope to left center field. That would also be acceptable. If that's what a player is doing, he is getting. Have you ever watched college football games? I think of Ohio State, but they're not the only ones. They were one of the first ones. When a player did something well, they got a star, they got a Buckeye put on their helmets. So 
at the start of the year, you have like, you know, three or four of these things on a guy's helmet, these decals on their helmet. But then by, as the season gets a little bit longer, you have some guys who have a whole bunch of stuff on their hats. And you have a whole bunch of guys who don't have anything on their hats. Who do you think are the guys that are the better players? The guys that are the better players are the ones that have the whole bunch of Buckeyes on their hats. The guys who have done really well are the ones who have helmets that are absolutely loaded with indications of this guy did something well. This guy did something well at the end of spring training. How many decals will Cole Roederer have on his helmet? How many decals will Pete Crow Armstrong or Reggie Preciado or James Triantos or any of them? How many decals are they going to have in their helmets? How many decals are these guys going to have on their helmets, hypothetically, at the end of the year? That's going to determine where they go. The guys with the decals go to the levels that they wanted to be at. The guys that struggle, they'll stay behind in Mesa. They'll keep the same helmet, and they will keep trying to add more decals to their helmet. Once they get enough decals on their helmet, then they'll move up to Myrtle Beach. The guys that are doing well, well at Myrtle Beach get a brand new helmet for the new season. Regular season starts. You get a whole new helmet. Whole new helmet. After all, you're with a different team. Of course you wouldn't have the same helmet you had out in Mesa. You walk into the games in Myrtle Beach or in South Bend or in Tennessee or in Iowa, wherever the heck they are, or in Mesa. How many decals do they have on their helmet? How many decals do they have on their helmet? That was a fantastic play. That was a sensational running catch. Give that man a decal. Give that man, give that man a decal. Give that man a decal. That was an amazing one-two slider. The umpire didn't give you the call, but it was still a fantastic pitch. You're going to get a decal. Yeah, I know you don't get to hit, but you still get a decal. If you have enough decals, six, six weeks into the season, eight weeks into the season, nine weeks into the season, ten weeks into the season, you get a call up. Why? Because you have enough decals on your helmet. That's how that stuff is decided. It's not a question of predetermining that this guy is going to necessarily spend seven weeks at this spot and then, yeah, dispassionately. This player who we have ranked as our sixth prospect is going to spend seven weeks at this site, then irrespective of anything, we're going to promote him to, no! How many decals does he have on his helmet? How is his defense? Is he running first to third on singles? He should be going first to third on. He's a runner on first. Guy hits a line drive to center field. Line drive to center field. Center fielder and the left fielder are both moving over for it. How does he do as far as looking at the situation and properly assessing how he's supposed to act as a base runner. 
He either has that or he doesn't. If he doesn't, then he doesn't get a decal. But if he's at exactly the spot he's supposed to be, leaning in exactly the direction he's supposed to be, that's what you're looking for. If the player is ready to go to the next level, it's usually not that hard to figure out. If you're paying, it's not OPS numbers. It's not stolen bases. It's how many decals does he have on his helmet? How many decals has he earned on his helmet? When it's time, where? Nah, this guy's done with this level. Let's move him up. You move him up. You move him up when it's time. Sometimes you might have a tricky spot where this guy ought to be moving up to play right field for the next level's team, but that team already has a right fielder. So how will we finagle and adjust and all that? Sometimes it gets kind of hard, but usually if you're paying close enough attention at any kind of sort of level, you can tell when a player ought to go up. Owen Casey last year probably should have left Mesa quite a bit earlier than he did leave Mesa. But again, there was a jumble of outfielders in Myrtle Beach. And it was kind of problematic to how are you going to get proper at-bats for all of the outfielders who all of them ought to be getting at-bats somewhere. It was problematic. It was very problematic. I was looking at that specific problem very closely, and it was hard to figure out. And then you throw in, well, we don't know who's actually healthy, who's good to go. But usually, most of the time, if you're paying close enough attention to a minor league affiliate, and for some of you, this will be your first year of actually following a minor league affiliate, because you might not have a major league affiliate to follow, major league team to follow. If you're following a minor league affiliate and it gets to be the five, six, or especially seven or eight week point, and you realize, you know what? This guy is better than this league. Then you move him up. And you don't want to do it after two or three weeks because sometimes you'll have a player who just has a really good two or three week stretch. You have a really good two or three week stretch. Hey, this is a really good two or three week stretch. I hope it continues. Maybe you bump. You have a player who's having a good two or three week stretch. Maybe he's playing three or four games a week. He's having a really good three or four week stretch. Hey, let's bump it up to four or five games. See if he can keep it going. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Some guys are built for being very good three or four week players. There have been very good major league players who have done a very good job of getting very rich and having a whole lot of fans and getting a whole lot of trophies for being very good three or four games a week players. There's nothing wrong with it. At the minor league level, you watch, you listen, you pay attention, you hear things, you listen to both announcers broadcasting entire games. And at some point, you get to hear announcers saying, this guy's better than this league. This guy should not be in this league. He is better than this league. He should get promoted. If you listen enough, you will eventually hear that. And not just from the hometown announcer. This 
player is better than this league. That's what you're listening for. In one way, shape, or form, this guy is better than this league. When you get to a point where either you know it or more likely the announcers notice it, especially you get these six-game series. I say series. It's series, but I say series. In a six-game series, when one player on the other team is beating the snot out of you, especially when he beat the snot out of you two or three weeks ago. And you can just tell, we can't do anything with this guy. We can't do anything with this guy. We can't get a hit off of him. We can't get him out. We can't, we can't limit soft contact. We, we, we can't do anything with it. Get him out of here. He's better than this league. If you're listening to minor league baseball, you'll hear that. This guy is better than our team. This guy is kicking our butt. It's what's called integrity. If someone is doing better than your team, then admit, this guy is doing better than our team, and if he's doing anything like this against the other teams, he shouldn't be here. He should be in the next league up. Then you call him the heck up. It's not preordained. It's not a case of... He has to get called up at seven weeks or else. No. When a player shows he is better than the league he's at, then that team is benefited by saying, hey, let's get this guy the heck called up. And it doesn't matter if it's low A or double A or triple A. When a guy is better than the league, he should probably get promoted. There will be certain instances where a player at triple A or possibly some other level doesn't get promoted when he's kicking the crap out of a league. But if a player is kicking the crap out of a league, he's probably wasting his time. He's probably wasting his time because he's already learned those lessons. He has more lessons to learn, and he's probably not going to learn those lessons until he gets to the next level. The Cubs prospects... From one through six, and a couple of the ones below the sixth spot are getting credit. Does that mean they will necessarily all be major league superstars? I don't think I've seen anyone ever say that anywhere. But a lot of people who are very much pro-veteran over pro-prospect are more than willing to pipe in saying that um, prospects, lottery tickets, all that kind of stuff. So to summarize, Peyton Paulette from Arkansas out for the season. I'd still be good with him as a Cubs second round pick. Robo catchers, uh, robo umpires coming to the AAA levels. Generally pretty good with that. And Cubs prospects are generally getting pretty good dap from most of the prospect assessing sites going on. Thanks for stopping by. I'll have another podcast up soon.